Hey, good, good morning. Great to see you today. Great to be with you online. For those of you who are joining us online, let's welcome everybody in online. Also, just to kind of get, the, get this out of the way, uh, I had a little, little thing taken off at the dermatologist this week. I was going to tell you that I got in a fight in a bar, but I just thought I'd tell you the truth instead. Um, but anyway, just so you know, that's, that's, that'll go away at some point. Probably not today, but at some point it will. So don't, don't worry. Everything's cool. Got to it early. I can still fish. And it's all good. I want to begin today by asking you a question. I want you to think back with me on your life personally. Think back to the moments or the seasons where you have made the greatest advances. Think, think back in your own life about the times that you've taken the greatest leaps forward. Maybe personally, maybe professionally, maybe even financially, you could point to a windfall that you experienced at some point. But think about, think about the times that you have moved the most forward, the most quickly. And just kind of put that, lock that in the frontal lobe of your brain. I, I think of three things from my own life that kind of jumped to my mind. First of all, I remember in high school, my junior year, I was a part of a service organization, Key Club, and we were getting ready to have elections for officers of the next year, our senior year. And something just kind of stirred inside of me, and I said, I want to be president of Key Club. I, I remember having that conversation with my mom in our kitchen at 7711 Pagewood, Houston, Texas, and I worked up a speech. I got ready for the interviews. I ran for president and, and won. And I remember that just as vividly as I'm standing right here. I, I, remember, I remember exactly where I was. I could take you to the exact place on the planet where I was when it struck me that if I didn't marry Julie, I was a complete card-carrying idiot. And I remember that. And I believe that was the Holy Spirit speaking into my life. Mac, don't be an idiot. That's how the Holy Spirit kind of has to get my attention. I remember exactly where I was when that conversation took place. I, I remember when, when Julie and I decided that we would trust God and, and plant Lake Hills Church. And, and I kind of, you know, spiritually and metaphorically put my hand in the air and said, I'll be the pastor. I, I remember what that was like. And you have these same kind of moments, though the circumstances and the situations, of course, are different. But whatever your story, whatever your narrative looks like, I know this to be true about those moments that you took the biggest leaps forward. And the simple truth is this. When we take those momentous moves forward, we are never, everybody say never. never. We are never ready to take those moments. It, it may be the minute that you got married. It may be the minute that you became a parent. It may be the moment that you decided to follow Christ. You were never, ever completely ready for everything that was wrapped up in that moment that moved you so far forward so fast. And, and I think that this is part of how God has set up the world to operate, but in particular, us to operate in relationship with him. As a matter of fact, if you kind of go beneath the surface of the superficial, I think when you look at those moments that you moved forward, not only were we not ready, not only were we not fully prepared and equipped for what might follow, the fact is 
that there were actually a lot of things in the way of taking those steps forward. There, there are a lot of times when those obstacles that we think are going to prevent us or inhibit us from reaching our full potential or realizing God's dreams for our lives, when those obstacles actually become the very thing that God uses to move us forward. One of the persistent patterns of God's goodness. One, one of, if you could put it this way, one of God's habits is this. The very thing that we think holds us back, God uses to grow us up. The very thing that we think is holding us back many times in life is exactly what God uses to grow us up. Now, when I say to, to grow us up, I'm talking about to, to mature us, to develop us, the biblical term would be to sanctify us. Sanctification is that divinely orchestrated process by which in the power of the Holy Spirit, God is shaping my character, your character as followers of Christ to be more like Christ. We're becoming more like him. We're becoming more fully who we were created to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. And even though I had seen this process happen a lot of times in my life, the concept didn't really crystallize until I was reading a book that had nothing to do with the Bible. Ryan Holiday is an author and a speaker and is a really fascinating guy. I would encourage you to read his stuff. Ryan, by his own admission, is an atheist who has done a deep dive study on the philosophy of Stoicism and the Stoics, in particular, Marcus Aurelius. And in his book, The Obstacle is the Way, Ryan details how this process happens over and over and over again, particularly in the lives of people who excel, the, the people who become difference makers in the world. And he quotes Marcus Aurelius, the, the emperor of Rome, who said the following, what stands in the way becomes the way. What stands in the way becomes the way. Now, Marcus Aurelius, like Ryan Holiday, they're, they're not Christ followers, but what they have done is they've taken the time to notice a thread, to notice how God has hardwired this principle into the human experience, that the very thing that we think is holding us back, God wants to use to grow us up, to make us more like him. Today, as we continue this series, Legacy, we're studying the book of Acts. And if you've got your Bibles, I want you to go to Acts chapter 3. We're going to take a kind of close look at Acts 3 and 4 today. But this principle of what is the obstacle becomes the way is something that we see over and over and over again, particularly in the life of this fledgling movement known as the church, the body of Christ. And you can, you can take it a step further and kind of see how this happens. We, we said at Easter that the moment of Christ's resurrection, what happened on the cross and then after the cross, the reality of the resurrection was a moment that sparked a movement that became this thing called the church, the body of Christ, the most influential organization or group that the world has ever known. Now, to be fair, we've had our moments. The church is comprised of people. Turn to your neighbor and tell them with a smile on your face, you ain't perfect. 
Now, with a bigger smile on your face, tell them, and neither am I. That one sounded a little quieter. You were a little more enthusiastic about telling your neighbor they weren't perfect. You know, by virtue of the fact that the church is made up of people, there's going to be kind of a checkered history. And, and I don't want to minimize that, but neither do I want to oversell the reality of that. Because the fact of the matter is that the church, when it's firing on all cylinders, when it's accurately representing the bridegroom, Jesus, man, the church, the church, there's nothing like it on the planet. The Bible says that Jesus gave his life up for the church to present her, you and me, like a radiant bride, spotless, spotless, without any blemish, wrinkle, or flaw. Isn't that an amazing picture? That that's Christ's desire for you and for me. And so it's imperative that we understand from the book of Acts what it is that's going on as the church is born, as the church begins to prosper and begins to spread the message of Christ, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And you see this principle played out over and over and over again. Now in Acts chapter three, the Bible says that Peter and John were making their way to the temple in the afternoon as had become kind of their custom. In Acts chapter three, we know that the church has has blown up from about 120 who were meeting in the upper room before the Holy Spirit was visited upon them to now more than 3,000 people who accepted Christ at Peter's Pentecostal sermon. And so this, this movement is taking shape. It's starting to happen. It's starting to gain some traction, particularly here in Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, Peter and John are making their way to the temple one day when all of a sudden they notice there a beggar who has been placed. And let's just pick up the narrative in Acts chapter number three, verses two and following. This is what the Bible says. Now, as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. That sounds like Peter, doesn't it? Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Whoa! Just a regular Tuesday afternoon. Little miracle here and there. This guy has been laid by this temple gate every day of his life, as far as we know, just, just begging for financial crumbs from people as they walked into the house of God. And this was his existence. This was, this was how he survived, was just, just claiming and begging. And I, man, again, how much do you love Peter? Peter is just, I love Peter because he's just kind of like, what you see is what you get, heart on his sleeve. And, and the guy's like, 
Alms for the poor, sir. And what does Peter say? Hey, look at us. I don't, I don't have silver or gold for you. He goes, but I'm going to give you what I do have. And then he says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Can you, wouldn't you love to have been walking into the temple at that moment? Just at that moment, that, that beats, would you like cream in your coffee? I mean, that's, that's incredible. But I want you to think about, think about the lame man himself. He had been coming to this place every day for his entire life. All he knew was just, just to beg for crumbs, just, just pleading for pennies. He didn't even know anymore that he could ask for, that he could dream, that he could think of, of, of walking, of, of doing anything more than what he was doing at that moment. I wonder, I wonder this morning if maybe you have a similar spiritual or, or mental infirmity, a, a block, if you will, where, where you've kind of just lost sight of the fact that God will use the very thing that holds you back, you think's holding you back, to grow you up. Where, where maybe, maybe it's time for you to, to stop just settling for pleading for pennies, personally, spiritually, relationally. I, I think back to those moments that I mentioned to you earlier, and I remember you know, running for president of Key Club as a junior in high school, realizing you better marry Julie, or, or realizing that, that God wanted us to, to plant Lake Hills Church. I was ready for none of those. How many of you remember the day that you got married? Let me just see a show of hands. Anybody, go ahead and keep your hands up. Now, everybody who was ready for what came after that, go ahead and put your hand down. Don't put your hand, you, you should not be putting your hand down. You had no idea. You walked down the aisle to get married. You don't have a fat clue in the world. Now, you're called to it. Hopefully, you've dated in a biblical, godly way. Julie and I are going to talk about that tonight. Hopefully, you've prayed about it. Hopefully, you've sought counsel. Hopefully, you feel called to it. Hopefully, it's a God thing. All those things can be true. And you still don't have a fat clue what you're signing up for. And this is where God shows up. This guy didn't even know what he was asking for, pleading for pennies. And Peter said, what? You, you want pennies? Oh, baby, I, I, I got better for you than just pennies. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to give you silver and gold, but I will give you what I do have. See, Peter had a personal encounter with Jesus. Peter knew the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what he was giving. He was giving to this guy the life that is truly life. The fact that he could get up and walk, that was a sign. That was to point him to the person of Jesus. It wasn't about the walking. It was about the one. It was about coming to know Christ. And when you come to know Christ, it changes everything. The cross changes 
obstacles into opportunities. Don't think that this is just some kind of, you know, pie in the sky, positive thinking. We're just going to think positively, okay? Buck up, okay? Be positive. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, don't be positive. Oh, come on now. They got to hear you online. Tell them again. Don't be positive. Be accurate. Be accurate. Think God thoughts. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church forever and ever. To him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. So, so the biggest dream you can dream, just, just for a second, take the blinders off. Money's no object. Your background doesn't matter. The biggest dream that you can dream God looks at your dream. He looks at my dream and he goes, that is so cute. That is, that is a sweet little dream you have. Watch what I want to do. Watch what I want to, I want to take your pennies and give you the ability to walk. I want you to, I want you to expand your vision, expand your hopes, expand your dreams, expand your faith, not in yourself but in the Son of God who rose from the dead. The cross, it is the cross that turns obstacles into opportunities. It's not because we're positive thinkers. It's not because we've studied the Stoics of ancient Rome. It is because of Jesus. It is Jesus who turns those obstacles into opportunities. He is the one who does this. Peter knew this, and this is what he's saying here. He says, get up and walk. Now, in the next couple of verses, the Bible says that the people started to kind of hear what was going on. They're like, you're not going to believe what's happening out at the beautiful gate. You know, the guy that's always there, the guy that we pass by and, you know, we get really spiritual, we're throwing some stuff. He's now walking around with Peter and John. He's getting ready to come into the service. He's carrying his own coffee. And so a crowd starts to gather around them. And look at what the Bible says. Look at what verses 12 through 15. I love this. Again, God bless Peter. Verse 12 of Acts chapter 3. Peter saw his opportunity. He saw his opportunity and he addressed the crowd. So it wasn't just about this little conversation one-on-one with the guy who had been lame and crippled. Peter sees a crowd show up. He's like, oh, it's on. <laughs> People of Israel. What is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy righteous one, and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Peter's like, let's dance. You want to go? We'll go. Here's what's going on here. Yes, this man got up and walked, but he got up and walked by the power of God who also raised Jesus from the dead. By the way, Jesus, whom you crucified. Whoa. 
thought we were just coming out here to see a miracle. I thought, wait. But that's what I did. Jesus became my sin on the cross. He became your sin on the cross. When Peter says, you murdered him on the cross, you killed the author of life. Here's, here's what we need to remember about the cross. To the first century Jew, prior to the resurrection, the cross was a symbol of shame. The cross meant utter and complete contempt of the culture. That's why, as a matter of fact, Rome always hung people on crosses in public places. They, they wanted the populace to see what happens when you cross Rome. That you would see a guy on a cross and be like, man, don't be that guy. And so the cross, the cross meant shame. You want to talk about an obstacle? The leader of your movement, the ones that you have abandoned your fishing boats for, the, ones that you, the one that you have left your family for and gone to follow is now hanging on a cross? You want to talk about an obstacle? <laughs> But where we see obstacles, God makes opportunities. And because Christ rose from the dead, because he made this real, he showed us that, that the cross makes every obstacle to the work of God an opportunity for the worship of God. The cross makes every obstacle to the work of God an opportunity for the worship of God. This guy getting up, walking, that, that could become a distraction, but Peter made sure that they were not distracted by the healing. The healing was a signpost. Peter said, no, 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 it's, it's not about just this guy. Yes, Jesus has made his life infinitely better, better than he ever dreamed or imagined, but understand something, it's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. And so we lift his name up, we worship him. That's why Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. The more you do, the more I do that lifts up Jesus, that points people toward Jesus, the more Jesus draws people to himself. Which, by the way, is the whole reason we're here, folks. That, that's the reason the church exists. If you think your job is your job, you've missed the boat. That, that's a vehicle for the purposes of God in and through your life, in and through my life, is to point people toward Christ. So how we act in the marketplace, for example, really does matter. If you're an elected official, how you speak, how you talk, how you tweet, how you do any, those things actually matter. So, we are representing the king of kings, the one who turns obstacles into opportunities. But we represent him to worship him and to point other people toward him. Now, as the story continues, the plot clots. This is where it starts to get a little bit hairy for Peter and John and the other followers of Christ because it's at this point that the religious, the religious leaders start to take note. 
This is where the Sanhedrin, the council of the spiritual elites, the self-appointed spiritual elites, begin to take issue. Because now all of a sudden they're talking about why Jesus was executed on that cross. Why did he go to the cross? Because he was handed over from the Sanhedrin, the council of Jews, to Rome. Look at what the Bible says. Acts chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 1. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. I mean, this thing is exploding. The more opposition they face, the more they grow. Which, by the way, if you study the history of the church, we've always been at our best when our back's against the wall. Always. When we cozy up to power, when we get infatuated with earthly influence, that, that's when we lose our divine influence. But Peter and John, they had no trouble confronting the powers that be, that the church is expanding, it's exploding. Now, the Sadducees were interesting. You'll remember from Jesus' earthly ministry that he was usually engaged in conflict, philosophically and spiritually, with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the legal scholars of that day. And when we say legal, that means the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament. They had laws about the laws about the laws. But the Sadducees, at this point in Jewish history, the Sadducees were kind of the ruling elites. They were the ones who made up most of, not all, but most of the Sanhedrin, a council of 70 lawyers and scholars who kind of set the legal pace and helped to keep Israel together around the rules and regulations. But the Sadducees were different from the Pharisees in this respect. The Sadducees did not believe in life after death. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see? That's how you can always remember that. That's why you go to seminary is to get jokes like that. But it happens to be true. And so this is why they were so upset with Peter and John. This is what's going on, but the church continues to grow. Skip down to verse 7. Acts chapter 4, verse 7. We're going to go through verse 13. Now they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? You want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. There he goes again. Peter, man, he just, he just wades right in, doesn't he? For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone there is salvation in no one else, 
God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Verse 13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. They recognized them as people who had been with Jesus. The cross and the resurrection. The cross animates every part of every life that is surrendered to Christ. The cross animates every part of every life that is surrendered to Christ. These, these were just regular, everyday guys like you and me. They were, they were fishermen. They, they, they had gone to school on the Sea of Galilee to learn how to haul fish out, to sell fish. But they were recognized as people who had been with Jesus. They'd been with him. I want to challenge you this week. Go through your week as someone who's been with Jesus. Every day, every day this week, wake up 20 minutes before you normally do. And just be with Jesus. Pray. No phone, no iPad, no TV, just you and the Son of God. Just, just be with Jesus and then invite him to be a part of the rest of your day. It's, you'll, I think you'll agree that's pretty simple. It's not complicated, is it? Just 20 minutes. Now, if you already do this, I want to push you a little bit. I want to challenge you to take it to the next level. Be with Jesus. But in that time, ask him to reveal to you a place where you need to get better. A, a Maybe a sin that you need to finally walk away from. Maybe a discipline that you need to implement. But for all of us, for all of us to live the rest of this day and then the rest of this week, people who've been with Jesus. Just, just give it a shot. I want to ask you to bow your heads if you would. You know, when we, when we bow our heads, we do so as a, a statement of humility. We bow our heads and we acknowledge the fact that God is God and we are not. And 
and I want to go back for just a second to the statement that I made just a moment ago, that the cross animates every part of every life that is surrendered to Christ. If you're here today and you have never chosen to follow Christ, as a church family, we want to invite you to take the obstacle of the cross and personally make it the way of your life. To take up your cross and to follow Christ. It begins with a conscious, deliberate decision to trust him more than you trust yourself more than you trust other people, more than you trust culture or what the world is saying from moment to moment, but that you will follow Christ. If you'd like to take that step, whether you're here in the room or you're watching online, then we invite you just to pray. Just pray, silently talking from your heart to God's, just say in your own words something like this. Just admit it and say, Jesus, I need you. I need the forgiveness of my sin. I'm asking you to relieve me of shame, of guilt of brokenness. And I choose to believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again with the promise of new life, forgiveness, grace, and wholeness. so in this moment, I choose to follow you. I will trust you. In exchange for your life, I will give you my life and follow you with everything I am. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. If you would, just remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. As a church, we, we kind of believe that for those of you who made that commitment, this is the biggest moment of your life. And so we want to help with what's next. And in just a moment, we'll give you a, some direction on how to get that ball rolling. And I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to take those next steps. Don't leave this moment at this moment. But first of all, if you just pray that prayer, as our heads are bowed, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment as a statement physically of the commitment spiritually that you just made and know that as a family, 
we honor that and celebrate it with you. You can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together to tell you welcome home. Welcome home.